Welcome to the General's Gentlemen. Hello, welcome back to the RTS podcast. The Avengers have assembled once again. We've we've finally made it here. So, hello to everyone. Hello to Kevin, Topher, and Brandon. How are we? Dandy. Doing well. Again? Glad to be here. Yep, yep. So, today we're going to be talking about uh, early game in RTS games. And we also kind of by coincidence we'll be talking about some co3 because recently that was announced and some of us have had a playthrough of it so to start off with um brandon on his blog wayward strategy wrote about um what he thinks makes a good early game and and we've all read it and we have our thoughts so how about brandon do you want to give us the the thesis of your your article and we'll go from there sure and honestly um usually what i do when I write is I, I just kind of throw a bunch of ideas out there and see if anyone has any thoughts about them. Um, but I've noticed that people seem to react better if I write it like I'm actually presenting an argument. So the argument that I was basically presenting is based on my experience, the um, early game period is is one of the hardest things to get right in, in RTS. Um, you know, I feel like the you know rushes and and even some kinds of cheese are are essential because uh, a more diverse game with more things that can happen keeps people's interests longer. Uh, but a lot of people don't don't like that. Um, <clears throat> and also, I'd noticed in in games like Legacy of the Void and um, several other uh, more recent RTS, um, like there. Uh, in Grey Goo, one of the community leaders um, who goes by Xset, he created a mod called QuickScript, and literally all it does is right at the beginning of the game, when you build your first refinery, it refunds the cost of the refinery. And everyone, who, and now there's only like 30, 40 people that play the game right now, but basically everyone that's playing it competitively plays that because it's faster. Um, so I guess to stop rambling, um, one of my contentions is that truncating the early game keeping it short um <laughs> muted myself there um getting people out of the early game quickly seems to be one good way to reduce the pain of the early game um you know the the you keep muting myself again <laughs> what happens in the the early game um, is because of the way RTS economies scale, losing something early is worse than losing it later because you have less stuff, you have less income, so that, that can be a snowball, a literal snowball effect, um, where you're going, you're pushing your economy up the hill and all of a sudden you, you've got a bigger hill to climb than your opponent because of something they did, um, and the game just falls apart. So... When I'm thinking about RTS design, I, I try to think of stability. I try to think of from a starting place of, of what I think of as, as homeostasis. You know, you have this, this game state that's hard to really permanently tip one way or the other. And the mid-game is kind of the, the pinnacle of that. You know, both players have a lot of options. Both players are kind of at the peak of their ability to do things, usually. Um, and that's part... That, that's, that's a really fun time for for most people in in most rts um and 
it seemed to me that, that getting people into that faster was a starting point for a way to create a good early game experience. It's basically to, to get it over with as soon as possible. Um, now, that being said, I, I do think there are games like Age of Empires and Company Affairs that kind of go the other way, and they, they elongate, they overly elongate the early game, try to make that curve, instead of really steep, try to make it shallower. Um, and I think that, that can work too, but um, to me, the, the safer starting point uh, seems to be to try to, to get people's economy kind of up off the ground. I think actually Company Affairs... Um, Command and Conquer kind of does the same thing. They start you off with a ton of money, and that can let you like really like rush to tech or boom your economy or build some defenses or kind of do a mix of both. Um, and to me, the problem there is that yeah, you can you can get out of the early game really quick in Command and Conquer, but you can have a flame tank in your base in you know two minutes. Um, the games. I'm sure it's games, sooner than that. In in zero hour, yeah, I'm sure I, it's like a minute. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like like fifty eight seconds or something, um, or a minute twenty three or something, um, and that that I think is kind of another problem with early games is is um, in the article what I what I tried to talk about is kind of the the rate at which your economy ramps up versus the rate at which game ending damage can cross the map um, versus your ability to kind of see that incoming damage um, and. Uh, one of the things I had said is, is uh, you know, some, something like a scouting option, like you get a dedicated scout, like you get in the Age of Empires games, most of them. Anyway, that can help because that kind of reminds the player they should be scouting. In StarCraft, it's not really intuitive. You don't want to take a worker off the line and move it out across the map because he's supposed to be working. Um, it, it's counterintuitive to take a, a harvester and to go scout with him. So something like a dedicated scout makes sense to me because besides the fact that it's got nothing else to be doing besides moving around the map, it's literally a thing that's that's sitting there the player sees it, oh yeah, I should see what my opponent's doing. Um, so those are just, you know, kind of some of the things I was kind of playing around with in that, in that article. Um, okay, what good. do we think? <laughs> Yeah, I can jump in. I actually, I find it really interesting. And um, just a little background about me. Like, I'm a game designer, but not an RTS game designer. I'm an RTS, like, casual player, I would say, and an RTS, like, fan. I mean, I used to watch um, tons of StarCraft. Like, I still watch a little bit. So I'm always going to come at it from, like, a little bit of a game design perspective, but from, like, a casual player. I'm not super, super, super hardcore. And something that was really interesting to me that jumped out was talking about like the different maps and how like maps are so important, at least in um, like StarCraft games in particular. And I'm sure it's really important in other RTSs as well. But I'm just wondering what you think about um, the relative importance of a map for a game as it relates to scouting and as it relates to build order as well. So like, let's not even talk about different factions or different races. like. And I just remember when I was laddering back in the day in StarCraft II, there were a couple maps where um, if you were spawned in close uh, position, literally every time everyone would just rush you. Like they would hit you with crazy early pressure. Like I think it was an eight pool or nine pool or something, or like uh, super early racks, and you just die. Like the cheese was overpowering there. So that kind of broke the early game. So you really need to have that like delicate balance between early aggression um, being powerful, but not just like completely breaking the game. 
So I remember what they did, and this dates me as well, for the MLG tournaments, they would make like a different version of the map that actually prohibited a close position spawn. So it always had to be cross spawn. So I think the it was like Metalopolis was a map um, okay. and like uh, Shattered Temple or something like that, which <laughs> is a variant of Lost Templar. Anyways, but they had to like create new versions of the maps that would pr prohibit those uh, close position spawning. So just curious what you guys thought about the relative importance of the map um, based on which particular RTS game uh, that you're talking about. Yeah, also game mode I think is relevant is um, like a 4v4 is very different to one versus one in terms of map sizes. So so naturally those things are linked. And I definitely think it's, a, it's an interesting topic in terms of like map design because if you look at RNG created maps or, or seed maps, like you in Age of Empires I realized that professionals play on created maps that are very specifically designed but the average player who just plays um will play on a map that's totally random and the same with a game like tooth and tail and so having that scouting unit really helps because you the map could be completely random whereas in a game like starcraft or or any of the blizzard games that are very rigidly designed maps i think it has a big impact because you generally know where your opponent's going to be you know how far away or how close they're going to be you know uh you know they what resources they're going to be near in Age of Empires, you're not always equally distant to certain resources that you may need or don't need. And and so I think uh, the more rigid maps uh, will have a big difference in terms of versus the more randomly generated maps. And so that's just my thought on that side of it. Um, I think... No, go ahead. I've been I've talked enough so far. I, I think what part of what um, Brandon said in his article and then yeah. what Kevin was getting at is that, that there's much of a Goldilocks zone... There's like a sweet spot where you, you don't want rushes to be impossible because then the first five minutes is you just doing the identical thing over and over again. Like that's one criticism that Age of Empires gets is that the, what is it, the Feudal Age, um, the Stone Age, whatever the, the first non-combat phase is, is that you, you are just optimizing and repeating the exact same thing and it can be kind of boring. Um but then also a lot of people like enjoy that. A lot of people like the slower pace. So I think it depends on on what sort of player you are, like what skill level it is, um, just your preference in RTS games generally. But I think StarCraft is an interesting game to, to talk about because it has changed. Um, and Legacy what was the first one, um, Wings of Liberty. The rushes were much more... Brutal. It was it was like StarCraft Brood War, where you would start with a lot less workers, and so it would take you a lot longer to build up, and so you were more vulnerable to um, being rushed. And because you had less workers, it meant that pulling a worker to scout at the start was one sixth of your income. Whereas in uh, Legacy of the Void, you start with like ten or something, and so it really doesn't matter that much. And and so I think. Blizzard came to the same conclusion that old mate Kevin here did is that like getting rushed so early on like that is not fun and it's too cheesy and it's obnoxious and so when Legacy of the Void came out they they deliberately um, shifted well I don't, I don't know what would you call it they delayed the or they they speeded up I guess they speeded up the early game so that you get to the mid game quicker so that the cheese is less punishing. Actually, um, Tim Morton, who was the producer on Legacy of the Void, who is now with a different studio, he's been talking a lot about what he looks for in, when designing an early game, and that's something he actually brought up was 
when they compressed the early game for Legacy of the Void, they did so because um, it's still allowed for rushes. There's still tons of rushes and cheats and things like that, but it, it made it less impactful if you make a small error. It doesn't completely cripple you. But it also um, still allows for flexibility in offense and defense, and I found that really interesting. Because it's less, you know, cutthroat, but it's still it's like that Goldilocks zone you were talking about. Yeah, I think another yeah. also um, comparison point is between Zero Hour and Command and Conquer Three, because you, you you have both flame tanks in those games that can basically burn your base down in thirty seconds if you're not paying attention. Um, but it's very different in CNC three because there's actually a tech building that unlocks the flame tank, the the command center or whatever it is, like the the tier two structure. And so when you're playing CNC three, you can scout with infantry and you can see that building. And you go, uh oh, he's he, he's going to rush a flame tank because there, there's really no reason to rush it that early. Um, and so you're scouting for that as opposed to scouting for, like, if they have one harvester, then they're probably going to be atta- going uh, attack bikes. So th- there's different cheeses that they can do, but it, they're all pretty easy to scout. Uh, whereas in zero hour, you really can't scout it that well. You scout it when you see the flame tank is halfway towards your base already. And so you have a lot less um, time to react and less opportunity to see it coming. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I like about the Command and Conquer games, especially 3 and Red Alert, is um, you know, earlier, and this actually goes back to what Kevin was saying too, as far as map design goes. So what what I look for in the early game is, is what I, in my own little, you know, kind of, self-invented lexicon i I term stability um you know i I talked earlier very briefly about what i call homeostasis and that's that's kind of the idea is that um a stable early game is one where you don't have that i I was going to say you don't have that fear of losing but you should you really should you know have a fear of losing um but in command and conquer um you know when you get something across the map, like a flame tank or an APC with an engineer inside of it, um, the only real thing that you can absolutely end the game with in the early game with Command and Conquer is if you get their conyard. Um, and, you know, if you get that flame tank in the base, the other player could respond by selling their buildings off. So they get at least some of that money back and they can use it to do something else. So. Um, I think that's one of the strengths, actually, of, of Command & Conquer, is that stuff dies really easily, but you have all these tools to kind of fiddle around with it on the back end, and everything is so high impact that, you know, yeah, I can get one flame tank in and kill, you know, three or four of his buildings, um, but, you know, he can get one thing in my base and make it even again. Um, but, anyway, what, what I was going to say is, you know, getting some Zerglings inside your opponent's base... Uh, you know, everyone blocks off their base in StarCraft II because they know there's all these things that can get in your base and you get two, three, five, you know, a, a second, and then you're, you're just done. Your economy's gone. Um, and that's it. There's there's no real... You can't sell a building back unless it's a bunker uh, and it doesn't really count. Um, so the... To me, in some ways, the early game in StarCraft II is more fragile, so they have to design the maps this carefully because of all of the crazy things that otherwise could happen. Um, So they need to give the player the map as a tool to help defend against those things. Um, 
and you know thinking about it as kind of in kind of an agnostic way as a as a designer um thinking about it without saying okay well banshee's this and um mutalisks that and zerglings this um one thing i like just change direction slightly about company of heroes 2 is the game ending damage doesn't come out for like what 10 minutes eight minutes because you need a tank to go destroy their base otherwise you have to try to win via the um the command points via the victory points so you can get your army wiped out you can trap someone i've seen that a handful of times someone being trapped in their base um but because of the way that manpower scales and because of the um again some of the high impact stuff that can happen in um company of heroes 2 or i guess any of the company of heroes games um you can't really kill the other player until later in the game when the tanks come out um and those things to me so long as there's room to definitively you know close out a game um some of those things seem friendlier to the player on the losing end you know I've lost all my guys, but I get that manpower bonus, so I can kind of try to come back into it if I'm careful. Um, you know, I got a flame tank or a shadow strike team in my base, but I can sell my buildings and build something else to try to recover it. That's actually, I've been watching and, and trying to cast some competitive um, Command & Conquer 3 lately, and one of the, the most fun things about that to me, literally fun, is... You know, a player will be put on the back foot and they'll tech really hard into infantry, especially if they're not. Uh, and then they'll just go crazy with an infantry army and then they'll kind of get, get back into the game and they'll tech switch into something else. And you actually see these really huge um, uh, switches to the strategy, like, really quickly. Uh, and I, I think that's that's fun. You know, I, I, there's a lot of RTS I feel like you kind of lock into the strategy until kind of the late mid-game and then you can, you know... Oh, I'm Protoss, so I'm going air. And air is my thing until I'm in the later game, and then I can expand into the Robo and try to tech up. But with Command & Conquer 3, oh, this isn't working. Sell that off, build this. You know, three buildings later, I've got a new strategy. Um, and to me, I, I think that's kind of durable because you see something's working, and you can actually switch out of it and try to do something else. Um, now, possibly some of these games are what they would consider mid-level. Um, the Command & Conquer three communities i think kind of smaller than it was a couple of years ago um i remember looking at it back in maybe 2018 and i felt like there were a lot of players online and, and now it's it's uh, the community seems to have shrunk but um anyway i kind of i kind of went like four different places there when i was talking so i apologize for that i wanted to jump on one thing uh that you were talking about that sort of like transition from early to mid game something that's really nice that i like about company of heroes too i'm a big fan as well um and this is true of all rts games is that when you have less units to control you can micro them a lot better you get a lot more value out of them so that early game is really like sort of babysitting maybe two three or four units across the map making sure that they're, they're in the correct cover making sure that they have like the correct arc if it's a machine gun or crew weapon or whatever. The same is true for uh, StarCraft and other RTS. Because you have less units, you can be more efficient with them. And then as you sort of transition out of that early game, when you have your like uh, build orders and your strategies and stuff, then you start having this like 
diminishing returns because you can't control all the units as efficiently as you can a smaller group of units. I think that's such an elegant uh, design for RTS games as a whole. And sort of that whole phase of starting up, you have a plan, you haven't done your scouting yet, so you have your initial like strategy, maybe I'm going to invest more into my economy, maybe I'm going to invest more into expanding, maybe I'm going to invest more into technology, whatever. You make like one or two of those choices. Then you start to scout, you start to see what the other player is doing. Maybe you need to adjust your strategy a little bit. And that like really tr smooth transition, as long as you have a nice stable uh, early game and like mid game transition into the mid game to late game. It's like, that's what makes RTS so like elegant to me. I, I actually really like the way you phrase that uh, in terms of like the early game. Like I think a smooth early game, the decision, most of your early decisions should be made before the game. Like, oh, I'm going to try to do this build these units or go for this strategy. And then once you get your economy going, you should either have a free scouting unit, like Vitage Empires, or like a Reaper or Adept in Legacy of the Void. That gives you something to spend your attention on until there's bigger decisions to be made. Like, oh, my opponent's going for this, so I need to adjust. Or what those mid-game decisions you need to make. And so I really like the, like the, the micro dance you talk about, and then also the decision-making that goes on before the game starts and then early in the early game as well. Yeah, just a random little point I want to throw out about Company of Heroes is like losing squads in the early game could be considered more forgiving than the late game because you're losing a Vet Zero Grenadier. It's not any, like without an upgrade. Uh, and so it, it stucks in the early game, but the veteran season is an interesting way of making early game losses less punishing. Uh, I think changing course a little bit, I think also what's really important in RTS early games um, is, is like you said, Topher, to have something to give your attention to. I think that's that's worth um, expanding a bit because it can be really boring if the early game is just you watching things happen. Like if you you you, you queue something up and then you're just there for for you know 15 seconds and then you do something and then the next 15 seconds you're kind of just waiting, not really doing anything. Um, and and so some level of like precision is nice. So whether that's controlling a scout unit, queuing up workers every what is it, twelve, seventeen seconds on top of building supply depots on top of you know moving your unit around. You you need to have something to take your attention up. Um, you don't want it to be too much. I think you want to be warming up for the you know the actual game, but but just something to keep you occupied. I th I think prevents it from being boring. And it's funny, different games have different elements that keep you occupied. Like, again, I'm going back to StarCraft 1 originally. Um, in that first five minutes of the game, you're microing your workers to individual yeah. mineral patches. And there's like a dance of, there's like a front row of minerals and a back row of minerals, and you're making sure you're prioritizing. Like, um, as a player, I don't find that super interesting. And as like a spectator, I don't find it super interesting myself. But that's, for those people, that level of precision um is really attractive to them and that's why like these super hardcore brood war players are play at a level that's like not accessible by a normal human being like these people are crazy um but yeah it's like what do you what do you want the player to be paying attention to um and to me i think Comfort of heroes does a really good job at that 
um, whether you're like uh, garrison buildings or like uh, constructing, you can uh, build the sandbags or tank traps in like uh, defensive or cover positions. I think that's really interesting. I think that's a lot more interesting than like microing your workers to mineral patches personally. Yes. Yes. What I also love about Company of Heroes is, um, you know, you'll be capturing points and it'll be kind of chill. And then all of a sudden on the mini map, you can see that the, the nearby region is flashing red. And you're like, oh, he's capturing that point. And it gives you a bit of a clue that, uh, you know, he's over there. And he, maybe he's like rushed that point beyond what he normally would cap. And so then you want to like group your units up before attacking rather than normally you would have just captured with, with a lone squad of like your engineers. But because you see that he's capturing it, now you want to maybe get like a rifle squad to do it instead. And so, I, and I think even that's a balance because maybe I'm wrong, but I think in Iron Harvest, like through the fog of war, it tells you what the enemy has captured. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. And yeah, in I don't like that at all. Um, whenever a point is captured, it shows on the mini map. Yeah, um, I, I, I think it's much better in Company to Heroes where it's only if it's like an adjacent point that you can see. Um, I think in Company of Heroes, your units have to be able to see into that zone, right? Yes. So it, it's just like if you can see, if you can physically see the zone, then you can see that it's being captured. Yeah, um, like you don't, you don't I, have I to agree. see the flag. That, you just have to see the little, like, the, the region itself. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think that is a that does make more sense. Um, it still preserves that sense of anonymity, so you can't really tell what your opponent's doing because with Iron Harvest, it's a lot more perfect information. You can see, okay, he's capturing this one, that one. I can watch him as he captures the points closer and closer. Um, but uh, going back to something... I'm actually glad that StarCraft Brood War, StarCraft 1 came up um, because I think it was Kevin earlier said something about... Yeah, because yeah, Topher also mentioned that. Um, in one thing that... I'm not a huge Brood War guy either, um, but I think that, that the fans of that community do have a point where um, in Brood War, actively controlling those small groups of units is a necessity because you can only select like what 12 16 units at a time 12. 12 units at a time so even in larger fights you only have those those 12 guys uh, at a time that you can manage and so you can actually win with a smaller force because the larger force gets inefficient because the, the player can't control them as well you actually see something very similar in um command and conquer remastered where units will not move to engage the enemy so the players actually have to like really micro their units really intensively to make sure that they've got all of them into a fight um which i find fun in command and conquer remastered um now of course the the challenge for modern rts design is modern players that aren't brood war purists yeah. um <laughs> aren't going to want that they're not going to want to say i can only select 12 guys at a time that's no one's going to want to play a game that does that anymore. Um, like, I, I can't, I, I have never, I have not purchased, I loved StarCraft when I was a kid, I have not purchased StarCraft Remastered because I know I can't go play that again. I know I can't do that, so I would, I would hate it. I, I never liked that in the Blizzard games. Um, and one challenge, though, in, a, in modern RTS that we see a lot is with death balling is it becomes the point you don't have to um micro your units as well when you've got so many because you just have this big pile of damage walking around um 
that's getting a little away from away from uh, talking about the early game, but I just thought that was relevant because we we were talking about um, large army dynamics and and why it's interest more interesting to to manage and and maintain smaller groups of units. Now the yeah. other kind of part of me perversely because I, mean, I think where a lot of us are Company of Heroes fans is that's one thing I like about Company of Heroes is because even a big army in Company of Heroes is literally a small army. You've only got, what, 12, 15, maybe, maybe at the most, like 18 or 20 squads um, and vehicles to work with. But oftentimes it's less than that. Um, unless you're in like a 4v4 or something and um, you've managed to keep your stuff alive really well. Um, but that's that's... To me, that's a more accessible number of things to to deal with. Um, and if you're providing the player with that many tools, then they have more control over the outcome with those tools. Um, so that's that's kind of my my little pitch for smaller scale games, <laughs> and why I appreciate them personally. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I think, and you guys maybe. Um, pitching on this too i think that's one thing where the age of empires games kind of have an advantage over like a sci-fi game is a lot of the dps in age of empires is melee still so you don't get this death this death ball that's as devastating because you've got all of these infantry units that, that create a line um and the the long range units are, are not the whole army like they would be in a sci-fi game or a modern game I have a question. I don't think you've played um, this, Kevin, but um, what do you guys think of the creeps in Ashes of the Singularity? I don't know if you played it either, Tofo. Have you played it? I, I played it a few years ago, and then I played Escalation for a little bit, but I haven't dived too much into that. But I, I think the design of any type of creep in an RTS has a lot of benefits. I think it really slows down an early game. It gives the, it talk, does what we kind of talked about, like gives um the player something to do if you feel engaged like oh i'm already in a battle a little bit you know or i'm, I'm skirmishing and um while not risk you know it's you could it's pretty hard to lose a game by going after something like that but at the same time i think it provides an opportunity to uh be engaged to uh scout and to be able to not risk everything while still having some fun in the early game just to clarify is that like creeps from Warcraft 3 or something like that, like neutral um, mods? Uh, it's so similar, in... but there, there's no experience. Instead, you, you have to clear them in order to expand resources. I see. So they, they defend little resource regions. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot to to add past what Topher said, um, but I think it can, it can help... Um, kind of pace how you expand and where you expand and when, uh, especially in the very early game, because it, it slows you down from being able to try to capture a bunch of regions at once, because you've only got a couple units right at the start, so you've got to send those basically most of them to one region to take it, and then so once you're past like one, two minutes into the game, that, that opens it up a lot, but in the very early game, it, it constrains you a little bit to try to um, keep you focused on like smaller operations. Um, hey, can I talk, yeah, can I mention one thing though? Recently, I've been playing. Um, it's a little bit older, but it's called uh, 
Hold on, let me pull it up. It's um, no, uh, it's called Driftland. It's more, it's it's a more of a long, longer RTS game. You, usually, a match lasts over an hour, but um, they have very large maps, and you are on islands. So you island hop to get closer to your opponent, and there are creeps called barbarians. And um, one thing I think that game struggles with is it has very large maps, and it, then it also has creeps to slow you down even more. And I think uh, RTS can lean too far into the delay mechanics. So you're already far apart from your opponent. You can't get to them quickly. And then you are then you have these neutral creatures that are slowing you down even more. And I think sounds... they're... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, that sounds like Sins of a Solar Empire to me. We have yeah, and... pirates that, that inhabit some territories or some uh, planets in the system. Um, and... Yeah, I think, as with most things, that it comes down to saying something as trite as it's it, there's a balance to it. Um, you know, if you want a game that takes you know, fourteen minutes to get across the map the first time, um, there's games out there that do that. Um, obviously, being a little hyperbolic, um, but I, I don't know that many modern audiences, like a large modern audience, would really really like that. Um, and that, that is one thing that struggles with, is it just takes too long to get anything. And I think um, I thought one thing on this uh, I found interesting is uh, back when in Wings of Liberty in like 2011, uh, I remember playing some, some ladder games. I was really bad back then in college. I, I didn't have any time to practice, but there were novice maps for, for your first rocks. 50 games. And there were rocks. You, you could not be rushed. And so there were rocks that would stop your enemy from getting into your base. You would have a long time before they could get in, before they could do the damage to break down these rocks. And so to ease players in, they made it so that you just couldn't be killed before the you know five-minute mark or six-minute mark. And I, they don't do that anymore, and there are downsides to it. But I thought that was an interesting design choice to help yeah. players not, not feel pressured. The air units air. or Reapers or something. <laughs> You know, it wasn't very... Yeah. And it also, like, teaches you the wrong habits. I don't think that's a good approach. Yeah, it doesn't it. teach you to be a better player, but it does lower the stress, I felt. <laughs> yeah, Honestly, which is important in a, a way. Mm -hmm. As a new player to StarCraft II, I, I confess, you know, I did actually like that for a while. Um, you know, because, because it did feel safer. It did feel uh, less scary to say, okay, you know, I, I can't have... an army knocking on my door right now but yeah unfortunately it, in starcraft it was an incomplete solution um i think supreme commander did something similar um they created a, a no rush mode where they're literally they painted a circle on the map and you couldn't move outside that circle for the no rush time <laughs> <laughs> and people would like build their stuff and move their army right to the edge of the circle for when the uh if their base is circle for when the, the timer ran out so they could start attacking. Um, but yeah, I don't personally think that's that's the right choice. Um, I think I don't think, it, I don't think it was either, but I just I felt like it should be mentioned. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, and a lot of people just love no rushes, and, and a lot of people want to indefinitely play no rush maps, and I think that's fine. They should be able to. Like I, as, you know, in my video I talked about this, like the the treaty option in Age of Empires. Like I think those things are all good to have in games, in custom games anyway. Yeah, and and before that, I mean, uh, StarCraft One, you would just declare it. It was like a gentleman's agreement. 
yeah, no rush yeah. five or no rush ten and then you get to see how like honorable or bad manner your <laughs> opponent is and you get 12 zerglings in your base um so it's interesting that they sort of took this idea that just sort of spontaneously came out of uh playing custom games with people and then like designed the rocks to be in front of the base or like designed regions of the map that you couldn't occupy until the the durations are done but this kind of brings me to a question that i want to ask you guys is as a designers we all think about player experiences and um we want to think about how long these phases of the game last so like generally speaking what are we talking about like is the early to mid game transition is that after five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes? How long is too long? Do you think? For an I RTS? think I think seconds and minutes is the wrong way of thinking about it. I think it's more a percentage of total game time, mm. because the the early game in Supreme Commander is going to be very different to the early game in I don't know, let's say CNC three. You know, a game or that has Tooth a and Tail, which has like a five yeah, minute game. Go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or Command Conquer Rivals, or you know, whatever is a, is a short game. Um, so, I mean, that being said, I think, um, for, so what's a standard RTS game is like 15, 20 minutes, like that's Starcraft, Command and Conquer. And then I think maybe like two minutes is like, you shouldn't be able to rush someone in under two minutes. I think that sort of is fine. Like, I think whatever Legacy of the Void is, is a good system. Um, you, you can get proxied, you can get rushed, um, but it's not like too early. And and okay, in Company of Heroes, I think there's a pretty good sweet spot, you know, because like no one no one sends a rifleman squad over the other side of the map and tries to attack you. Uh, the only exception though is sometimes in like small maps you get the Kubel and the Stern Pioneers, like that can be really obnoxious because the the, the Kubel can shoot at you and they can just repair it for, for free with the Stern Pioneer, and then they can just like get your cut off and. Like that can be really obnoxious. I think that's definitely not fun at all. But apart from that, I think Co does it well. So it's it's hard to quantify these things other than just look at yeah, the examples where I think it it works well. Yeah. So for for me, the the three good starting points: um, Company of Heroes, where like Tofer said, there's there's really very little incentive to go directly attack the enemy. You want to capture territory. Um, you know, you're actively like moving around the map as opposed to right across it to your opponent. Um, Command and Conquer, where they start you off with a ton of resources, so the early game has a is kind of more variable. Um, you can go right for you know tanks. You can go right for um, economy. You can go for tech. It gives you a lot of options right out of the gate. Um, that is, it can be dangerous because the the match length is so variable um because you know if i'm trying to go for tech and you're gonna rush me then i'm probably just going to lose um but i think it's a good starting point i think command and conquer is a really good starting point because um it it gets you right into the action like a lot of the time and then um like you guys were saying also legacy of the void where um you know, it's aiming for two to three minutes out of a 15 to 20 minute match. Um, you know, it gives you this this kind of kick to get into the mid game. Um, and I, I think, like I said at the beginning, I think that's the safe way to do it is to, to try to push the player into the mid game and 
make those rush timings really hard and give the player who's potentially going to be rushed an opportunity to try this three minutes, two to three minutes is kind of enough time to get across the map to see what your opponent's going to try to throw back across at you. Um, and that's how I, that's how I look at it. I, I look at it as, you know, how long does it take your economy to hit this point? How long does it take you to get this thing out that you can go, um, damage your opponent with? And how long does it take you to get a scout across the map? Those three, the inflection point of those three timings is the important thing. Um, you know, if your economy goes slowly, but you can get a scout across the map quickly and the damage dealing unit is, is in between those, that's probably okay. The problem is when you can get that damage dealing unit out very quickly, but your economy grows slowly and you have a medium paced scout. That means that it's really easy to get damage across the map before you can get a scout across the map. Yeah, and especially so if it's on... Uh kind of three three timings together makes it good or bad or, or in between. Um, as for the scouting thing, especially on, on a four-player map, you know, one versus one, because, you know, sometimes you you scout the last base and you see that they're rushing you, but by then it's kind of already too late. So, again, even the, the map um, can affect the way that, that spawning works, um, the scouting works. Um and something I think also that's worth distinguishing is di different types of early game aggression and early game combat. Because CNC3 is, an, is, is a great example where you can, you can fight your opponent within 30 seconds, but what that fighting is, is it's both of your rifleman squads that are used for scouting shooting each other. So that engagement doesn't really matter. It's, you, it's just a cheap rifle squad that you've produced by selling uh, like a, a watchtower because when you sell a structure you get a rifle squad uh, you, you sell a base defense and so you're, you're just fighting over scouting that's all you're fighting over um that's different to a flame tank coming into your base at 50 seconds because if you lose that battle the flame tank can just kill you so different there still is some interest to it though even if there's no it, i think you're absolutely right though it's, it's not an important fight but if you lose the fight then you're that many seconds behind your opponent on scouting, um, which does does matter. Um, yeah, if so. they're going for flame tank or a bike rush or something like that, especially. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the other thing, too, is then on top of that, you also then have the fights for oil derricks, or in, in CNC3 it's called the Tiberium Spikes. So they, they give you like a little bit of income that you can capture with engineers. And so you get these really exciting skirmishes where... You're not just fighting to kill each other. You're fighting to snipe the lone, slow, weak engineer unit who's trying to capture this this structure, and the, the engineer maybe can like hop in a garrison for protection to buy some time, and so you, you get all this this interesting um, micro and, and decisions as well because you don't want to overcommit to it and then have someone just send attack bikes to kill your your harvesters, and, and so you're. Um, you're incentivizing this combat, but with the stakes are much lower, which I think is a nice way to do it. Like even in StarCraft, you have StarCraft Two, you have some like really interesting battles where the Reaper is trying to snipe the creep tumors, you know, and that's going to really mess up the Zerg because now they can't expand the creep as well. But you're not going to lose the game just because you lost a creep tumor. For sure. Yeah. I don't know if they still have uh, Zelnaga watchtowers, but there's always <laughs> yeah. fights over the scouting like uh, structures on the map. Yeah, and 
I, I mean, StarCraft 2, it turns out, is a pretty well-designed RTS. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, the Protoss has adept micro to try to, you know, when to shade and when not to, and whether they should go through with it or cancel it. And, you know, if you send four Zerglings across, it's not, like, a commitment for the Zerg, but it lets you, you know, pull back the wounded ones and try to commit with the healthy ones. And, I like, it's a very good balance. I think StarCraft 2 does that very well. Right. Well, okay. So, are there any RTS games that we can be mean schoolyard bullies to, and identify that we think have a a bad early game? Um, I'm gonna be. I, sorry. Go okay, ahead. Go on. Oh, I, I was, was gonna, gonna say. Gonna... Uh, uh, well, Brandon already mentioned Grey Goo, which is why they play with a mod that speeds it up a bit. Yeah. I'm, yeah I'm gonna I, be... Honestly, I'm sorry. I don't need to. No, go ahead. Because I, I know I've had a lot of talking time. Honestly, in Grey Goo. Um, I do commentaries of those on YouTube. Um, and before they started doing the, the quick script, I would literally skip like four or five minutes in because you know nothing is going to happen in 90% of cases. That nothing is going to happen in the first almost seven minutes of the game sometimes. And that's, that is a very bad pacing. Um, so I think the, the game is better than its reputation, but... That was definitely a problem. The, the early game was too slow. Um, and getting that game started off, literally you just refunding the cost of one building, that was enough. That's why these scales are so important. Um, so it's, it's not even picking on it. It's just showing like one building's cost added to your coffers at the beginning of the match can be a huge difference in terms of, of the feel of the game. Um, so I don't even think it as think of it as picking on Grego. It's just a really good case study to say this one little tiny change made such a huge difference. Um, but uh, I, I do think it's fair to say that Command and Conquer, um, because of all of the different things that can happen so quickly, um, I feel like almost across the board. They're a little too fragile in the early game. I don't know how I would, I don't know 100% how I would fix that. Um, but I feel like some additional stability in the very early game in Command and Conquer would probably improve it. Um, like just just pick a like three like CNC three, um, because it just it can feel so bad to have. You know, that flame tank sneak in the back and kill half of your buildings in 20 seconds. Um, or a shadow strike team. I think those can come out even faster than, than a flame tank. And they just fly in and they're, um, they drop in and they just kill a bunch of buildings and run away. And then that can feel kind of, kind of bad. Um, but yeah, CNC is a hard one because it gives you so many tools for defense and offense and, and to, you know, sell a building if you see it about to be taken or destroyed. And um, I don't know. It's one of those things that it's it's really hard to find a, a good toggle to say this one thing would make it would make it better. Okay. Um, uh, I'm going to pick on a game that I actually really enjoy, which is Homeworld Deserts of Karak. Because I feel that game has a very narrow and symmetrical Opening, you you really only have two options. You can rush to armored assault or assault ships, or you can just try to spam uh, your your basic unit. And because of the similarity in the factions, there there are some differences between 
between them, especially with the the DLC factions. But I really feel like um, it just is very if you gamble on the wrong tech within the first one second of what you click on once you start gathering resources, it can you could lose the game right away, or it can just be a really boring stalemate for the next five minutes, or it can be you know it could it's just not very enjoyable. And I really enjoy the rest of the game, but I find the early game of Deserts of Carrick not very enjoyable. Kevin, any thoughts? I can't think of one. Like, I think my repertoire of RTS games is admittedly a lot smaller than your guys. I'm trying to think. The only thing that really jumps to mind is I had played a bit of... The follow-up to Total Annihilation was Planetary Annihilation, I think. And the thing that I didn't like about the early game is... um, Basically, the way that I saw it is there were, like, four um, paths you could go. There was, like... The ground-based, which is the bots and the vehicles. There's the air-based, which is like the plane. The, you could build boats if the map had water. And then there was like the the fourth was like a satellite-based or orbital-based. And I found that, um, and I'm a total noob at that game, but if anyone, I couldn't figure out the orbital-based uh, units and people would just come to my planet and like blow up all my shit. It's the fact that the four tech trees were so orthogon- orthologically different from each other. Well, that sounds like, like a fancy game designer would. I could defend myself, right? Please yeah, define that... author something something. Orthogonal unit <laughs> or- differentiation. Orthogonal. orthogonal, thank you. Orthano- orthogonal unit differentiation. It's that uh, a unit, no matter how many you have of that unit, can never equal another unit. So the oh, idea right. is like... So when you have five vampires, trying to shoot like an A unit or something. Exactly. Like uh, in Age of Empires, you have an archer, and no matter how many archers you have, it can never equal what a uh, transport ship can do. Like they just do different things. It's not right. that one is an upgraded version of the other, it's just they fundamentally do different things. Right. So in the early game of Planetary Annihilation, you have to choose between these like very bespoke uh, types of units. Um, and for me, I just being really new to the game, I just struggled with that. And I found it super frustrating that someone could come in with a satellite-based uh, unit that could just blow up my base and there's nothing I could do about it without yeah. building that tier. Um, and I found out a little bit later that there are certain air units that can actually go into orbit. Um, there's a little bit of hybrid where there's like crossover, but to me it was super frustrating. You had to choose one of those four tracks. And then I guess if you had enough resources, you could then diversify and build like multiple of those tracks. But that sounds yeah, way too one... frustrating because like you already have. It air was super units. frustrating. So you might have like bombers that attack you, so you put anti-air. Yeah. But then on top of anti-air, you need like anti-space. Like that sounds way yeah, too. Yeah, that stressful. was that was a thing. Yeah, you you would have to build special detectors to even see into the orbital layer, um, and then you would have to build. You had stationary anti-orbital. Uh, like towers that could shoot into the orbit, um, into orbit. I I don't think many units that weren't orbital could could fire on orbital um, options. And on a one planet system in uh, PA in Planetary Annihilation, um, you could actually use orbital tech. One of my my some of my proudest wins were on a massive water and ground planet, building a single orbital laser and sneaking it over the enemy commander and sniping him with the orbital laser was, I loved doing that uh, because they never expected it, you know, because you're, you're fighting with the, the bombers and you're fighting with ships and you're fighting with units. And then there's this one thing that comes up in orbit and just goes. Mm, yeah, <laughs> Maybe that's more bad. a comment on the design of the game, but uh, 
it's sort of like at the beginning, the very early phase, you sort of have to choose which one you go. And I guess, yeah, you can diversify. But I was the player that you blew up with that. Uh, Orville <laughs> that was always me. And it might feel awesome for you, but it's super frustrating. Yeah, well, the, the one, one big issue with PA was moving from planet to planet. Once you go to a planet, I mean, like, uh, one of the more common systems was a planet with a moon. And both players would spawn on the planet. If somebody could get to the moon first and start building there, if the other player didn't go right away, those, that moon became almost uncrackable. Because um, you could, there's just no place to land on the moon where you can establish a beachhead to, to expand out. They, so that happened a lot. Um, players would go just fortify the moon and then just build up and shoot nukes at you or something. Um, which, like you said, it's not, it's not a great experience. Um, I just felt like there was just not quite enough counterplay. I think I remember someone had done a mod where they introduced spaceships, um, which seemed like a good thing to add, um, because there, there were very few things that could reliably get units onto a fortified uh, other planet, which I don't I don't think was was great. Any um, um, final thoughts, Tofa, before you head off? No, just thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Enjoy the rest of your evening, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. You're bailing now, right? Yep. Cool. Okay. I can, we're, we're, still, we're still going for a bit. We can talk about some Company Heroes 3. Uh, I just have to change my overlay. I did prepare this in advance. That one. Okay. Continue ranting about something while I adjust the overlay. <laughs> one moment. Um, I, I don't know. I really wanted to say something about active aggression, but the early game wasn't... Um, too remarkable in that game so probably not a good good one to pick on in this case um i do remember and this is i, I wish i had a chance to think about it more in dawn of war 2 the early game is much much more fragile than in company of heroes i think it might have to do with the hero units but i remember mm. basically like i played it when it was new and then i left and then i came back for retribution a little bit and the you could literally lose in the first two minutes by losing a squad. You feed a squad to the enemy hero, you might as well just quit. Um, and thinking about that in contrast to uh, Company of Heroes 2, which is much much more resilient, I guess in case of the uh, except for the case of the Kubel wagon. Um, since the the so the two games share so much of the same DNA, it makes me want to stop and yeah, and I think melee is important. Out what Dawn of War, because melee was very punishing. So because in Company of Heroes, when you retreat, you 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 take like a third damage or accuracy. Um, in melee, you take bonus damage. The the, yeah. the idea being that you know you, you're punished for retreating out of melee combat, and what that meant was that. Uh, if, if, if you retreat late, you can just lose a squad. And especially if you have two melee squads, like if you're, it's an orc mm. squad versus a tyranid squad, uh, there's, there's a bit of chicken where no one wants to retreat. So then like it reaches a certain point where like we're fighting to the death because we can't retreat. So I, I think Dawn of War 2 was, yes, it was very, very brutal. Um, and I actually think Dawn of War 3 did the early game better. I think Dawn of War 3... The early game was where the game shined the most. The, the late game, it got worse and worse. The scale yeah, got too yeah, that big. Was, yeah, you're absolutely um, right. Dawn of War 3, the, the mid-game 
like anywhere past the mid game. Once you started getting to the super elite, the the escalation like, system a, like a, system as well was terrible. The which yeah. System? So in Dawn of War three, as the game would progress, not only would you get more resource income because of your mm-hmm. investment. Oh, like the escalate. You the said e- the escalation. Just yeah, arbitrarily. Just yeah, yeah. Okay, we've, we've hit the ten minute mark. Just kidding. Now you have twice as much resources, which is like yeah. exponentially increasing off of the fact that you have more resource regions anyway. Um, but I agree with you guys. I always found the Dawn of War three like early to mid game really interesting because. You're doing a bunch of different things at once that um, you, you're building up structures in your base, like maybe you're creating tech structures or uh, military structures, whatever. You're capturing those command points and you're also like upgrade, building and upgrading listening stations, I think they're called. Listening posts. Which is way more interesting than building cache, caches in uh, Company of Heroes 2. Yeah. Because like you choose between munitions and oil and that's it. It just sits there. In Dawn of War 3, you can like upgrade it. Uh, I think there's two or three tiers. Um, I didn't fully understand the resources, but there's like the blue crystals and the yellow energy and the purple elite resources and stuff. So it always felt like there was something to do. You're always like defending your own listening stations. You're always attacking like enemy listening stations. Yeah. It always felt really interesting. There was like, you could hide in those bushes. There was cover spots. So there was was a bit of tactics. Also, I think the other thing, the big part of it too was... um, you actually had a lot of options because if, if you're playing space marines you could you could just spam a bunch of the, the tactical marines from your hq or you could go for scouts you go for snipers you go for assault marines you could go for the devastator heavy bolters so you had a lot of options whereas when i play company of heroes 2 if i'm playing us i'm building three riflemen every single game i am never not building three riflemen or i guess maybe i'll go engineers like assault engineers but anyway and, and if i'm going um uh, let's say OKW, I will always build like three volts. Like you don't, you don't really have a choice. And Dawn of War Two was the same thing. When you're playing Space Marines, there, there's an optimal build. You just go like mm. next scout, tactical marine, you know, upgrade your power, whatever. So also, yeah, Dawn of War Three did it well. Yeah, right? in Dawn of War Three, I thought also the first upgrade you get on one of your units was really important. So I think the Space Marines could get like a plasma weapon. So if you were fighting against light armor, you'd want to get like the plasma pistol, the flame or the light. I think there were, heavy. <laughs> wasn't there like a, the assault marines could get like an upgraded power sword or something like that. First upgrade felt really impactful to me because you would always yeah. sort of like you only had enough resources to choose one. And like, am I going to go anti armor? Am I going to buff up my melee guys? Uh, am I, am I going to start upgrading like my resources? Uh, yeah, Dawn of War Three was cool. I think it got hammered unfairly um i i don't think i got hammered unfair i think i think it got hammered very fairly as someone who hammered it a lot (laughs) i think there were a lot of things that it did wrong and the things that it did wrong weighed out the things that it did well but there were things Mm. that it did well yeah i think some i think that some of the criticisms against dawn of war 3 were misplaced um, the the big ones were the lack of retreat, the honestly reversion to Dawn of War One style cover. Um, so the the big complaints that I remember were, I mean, clearly the the super elites I think were a problem, um, but the the what people would call the MOBA style. Um, win condition. I I thought the only big issue with it was that it was overcomplicated. 
um, you know, you have to kill the one thing, and the other thing can shoot at you, and then you defeat the, the last thing in the base. Uh, the locations of some of those on the map I didn't like, and the fact that it was this kind of specifically three-tier system. Um, like, if you had just a bunch of pylons on the map, and once all of the, or, like, towers, and once all the towers were dead, you lose, I would have been fine with that. Like... Just you have to protect these things, and then the fewer of them you have, the easier it is to protect them. And when they're all gone, you lose. Um, but a anyway, I, it, I think I, that some I, of, I don't want to the... go down the Dawn of War three rabbit hole. We do this like every Again. single time we manage to talk <laughs> yeah. about Dawn of War three. I, I, I have some some thoughts about. I didn't bring it up this time. Yeah, though. that's true. Was me. Yeah, yeah. Was responsibility. For it was one. it was relevant though. Um, yeah. Again, I do think it had a good early game. Um, Dawn of War two. I think you're right. Is it, it is too punishing. So, as for games that I think doesn't do the early game well, um, we, we've all kind of picked on games that we ourselves love, and I'm going to pick on Zero Hour, and I, I mentioned why. It's it, it's just, it happens too quickly. Like, again, you can rush someone in, like, 50 seconds with a flame tank, and, and I like the early aggression, but it's just a little bit too fast. And especially in, in Zero Hour, what happens is everyone sells their command center to get an extra $1,000, uh, and and so that further makes it more lethal. But then and then you play without a radar because you have no command center. It just completely you know was not intended clearly by the designers to sell your command center at the start of the game. Um, and it's not just flame tanks. It's also like your workers are very exposed. You know you can if you're playing with a total noob, what you can do is you, you can build a technical just like a little jeep thing, and then you can send it uh, if your opponent has a GLA. Um, if they're playing GLA, you can run over their workers, um, like instantly, Gosh, and so you can you can cool. just kill all of their workers, you know, in like forty five seconds with with a little jeep, uh, and they have no income anymore. And so you, so basically, oh, in order gosh. to play GLA, you have to wall off your buildings, you have to build your barracks, you have to build your war factory in a way that's blocking off your uh, workers, and that's cool. Like I like when base building is meaningful and important. But again, it's just too lethal, too punishing. I think CNC three does it better. The, um, you know, the 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 tech structure for the flame tank, for example. Um, so that I think the other thing is too that I, I you know I brought up the creeps in ashes. I personally don't like the creeps in ashes, uh, and I think creeps can work very well. I don't have anything against it. There's a lot of benefits to it. But the thing is with with ashes is it's a pretty slow game in terms of the unit speed. It, units move pretty slowly. And so, even if there aren't creeps, you still can't really attack your opponent um, th that early on. And so, I think the creep system was kind of unnecessary. It just extended out the early game. And it meant that... Because normally, in an RTS game, you have like the this triangle of, of rush, turtle, expand, or economy. Like, and you have this sort of... You've got to scout to see what your opponent's doing. Are they, you know, greedy expanding? Are they... Are they, like, rushing? Are they, like, turtling up? And, and each one counters the other. Like, a rush counters expand, expand counters turtle, and, you know, what have you. But but then in Ashes, it means that the first two minutes of the game is the same. It's like the feudal age in Age of Empires, is you just do the same thing every game. And then, like, once you hit a certain point where, okay, I've, I've cleared out the creeps, now I can actually play a multiplayer game. I can actually interact with my opponent... Um, that's where it gets a lot more interesting. Um, and and that if 
Ashes had really fast units, and you could rush your opponent, you know, in the way that you could in Command and Conquer. Then having creeps as a barrier to that might be an interesting way of, of keeping it at a more sensible level. But I think in Ashes, I, I just never really enjoyed it. And, and I I did play, like, a few games with the creeps turned off, and I, and I thought it was a lot more interesting. There's more to think about yeah, and more to do. I, I guess I, I played a good amount of Ashes, but I never really played it against other people. Right. Um, so... In a single play, in a single player game as a single player thing, it felt fine. But I, I see what you're saying about about overly slowing it down because it's already armies slow. in you, there's yeah. nothing fast. Yeah, yeah, um, apart from like air units. Right. We have like scout was, units. I think there were yeah. some. But they, there they were don't some have much damage maps anyway. maybe that that weren't from escalation, but some maps from the base game that kind of started you on like a U-shaped map, so you could have there's a shorter air rush distance. Yeah. Um, there were there were small maps, but anyway. Um, yeah, okay, let's talk um, about Co Three before we run out of time. Okay, let's do that. So, uh, who wants to start? Kevin, you said you played it a lot. What do you think? Yeah, well, a lot, relatively. Uh, I installed it the other day. I played, I want to say like three or four hours of the main campaign, um, which I thought was amazing. So, um, I acknowledge it's a technical alpha, right? So performance is kind of garbage. There's some like placeholder icons, whatever. I can see it. Like designers, people who are in the industry can see through all of these things. Like, they don't even exist to me. I see a big purple cube um, <laughs> moving around the battlefield that says this is a temporary art asset. I don't see that. I see a tank. Like, I'm not. <laughs> I don't get hung up on those sort of things. Um, but as a fan of, let's say, the Total War series, um, this is to me sort of like uh, a Total War, an homage to Total War games. Um, and they've done their own sort of twist on it, which I think is really interesting. So I'm curious to see how everything plays out. But my first impressions, I think it's really cool. I like the tactical pause. I don't know exactly how uh, functional it's going to be in an actual big battle when you have maybe, let's say, five or seven squads of infantry against five or seven squads of infantry with uh, vehicle support. Obviously, um, when there's that many uh, variables, you can't really plan with a huge amount of precision what your 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 tactics are. And this makes me like think back to a game called Frozen Synapse. I don't know if you guys have played that. It's sort of like a turn-based um, tactical. Uh, what? How do I say? It's like a five v five. It's sort of like um, Rainbow Six Siege. There's like five versus five and uh you give them actions per turn so i choose i want my troop to go here hide behind the corner i want my sniper to aim through the window i want my demolition man to throw a grenade here so i perform my actions the other person scripts their actions for their turn and it goes back and forth and obviously you can't predict exactly what the other person's going to do and all these emergent gameplay elements happen but thinking about tactical pause in context of Comfy Heroes 3, I think it's going to be the same thing. So it's not going to be super, super useful. I think it's a really nice tool to have. I think overall, there seems to be a ton of progression in the game, which is really nice. Um, I love action RPGs, and my design like experience is mostly in action RPGs, so I love progression. And it looks like um, for your, I think they're called divisions or sections, you can level up um, passive traits, you can unlock new units, um, and you can unlock uh, upgrades, like uh, commander abilities, like call-in abilities. And each of those abilities, you get a choice between two different things. So like, there's a huge amount of customization, huge amounts of progression. 
Some of it is still locked. It'll say like, uh, this is not available in the alpha, which is fine, obviously. It's still in, still in uh, progress, work in progress. But I was really blown away by how much, how much content there actually is. Lots of units, lots of progression. Um, it's still super janky, like uh, the movement phase, the way that they, uh, there's three little like star icons that indicate how much movement you have for your units. But it's super janky. Like if you go two and a half stars, it sometimes counts as three stars. Um, interacting with objects on the world map is super janky. Like you'll see uh, a crate of fuel, and certain units just can't pick it up because they they get stuck on like geometry. Uh, so there's a lot of like little things, but overall, I'm I think it's great. Yeah, I really really enjoyed my experience so far. The biggest negative point so far was in the tutorial for the world map it told me to move somewhere and it wouldn't let me move there um but it would be it was okay if i was like like one cell to the left so i just did that instead um but so i'm okay with 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 total war um i i think that in in the total war games the neither the tactical layer nor the strategic the map layer give me as much as I would want in either case, but the the combination of those things is good. Um, but coming from Com Com Heroes Two, Ardennes Assault was one of my favorite uh, all time favorite RTS uh, single player experiences. And looking at it that way as an expansion, as an expanded version of what they did in Ardennes Assault, I think you're absolutely right though. I think it's definitely very Total War like. Um, it's just without the parts of Total War that I don't like, like the the um, building up of cities and the uh, the almost pointless um, diplomacy panel. Um, it's just moving around and finding what to fight, uh, and then upgrading your 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 battle groups. Um, but looking at it as a as a combination of those those two things, I'm I'm happy with it. Um, from a perspective of the actual gameplay. I, I really am absolutely fine with everything. Um, you know, we were talking about Dawn of War 3 earlier, and one of the, the key takeaways from that is each Dawn of War game, all three of them are very, very different from one another. They share, you know, comparing Dawn of War 3 to, to Dawn of War 2 and StarCraft, I mean, it's cl cl clearly closer to Dawn of War 2, but each of the Dawn of War games has a very, very different gameplay model. Um, Company of Heroes 3, Company of Heroes 2, and Company of Heroes 1 they don't have that many big deltas between them. Um, and I think that's that's good. It might be playing it safe a little bit, but, um, you know, I want Company of Heroes. I sit down, I played Company of Heroes 3, I got Company of Heroes. I was very happy. Um, I liked the American faction. Um, the base structure tents looked great. Uh, one thing that I haven't seen mentioned a lot, uh, in Company of Heroes 1 and 2, moving an engineer off the front lines to the back to build the building then go back to the front lines that's it takes you out of the, the the flow of the game a little bit adding an engineer squad to the hq and making it almost work more like command and conquer really made me happy like it just made so much sense that they would do that you need a building you have the money for the building you tell the hq to build the building you're done um, i couldn't agree very, more very i think it's a huge improvement a nice <laughs> little piece of polish there um I could not figure out... Now, I, I, again, I've, I've only played, like, two skirmishes and maybe two missions in, in the campaign. 
uh, I could not figure out how, if you could upgrade points anymore. Um, I think more like Company of Heroes 1 than 2, there's a lot of fuel points on the map, and there's a lot of munitions points on the map, and there's some that kind of do both, uh, wherein 2, most points gave you a little bit of both, and some, there was like 2, usually 1 or 2 dedicated fuel points, and then 1 or 2 dedicated munitions points. In the skirmishes, I, I saw a lot more uh, dedicated points than kind of yeah they also vary points, I... there's like plus five or plus 16 so there's like high low and medium resource points in Kosu. yeah but I, I couldn't see how to to upgrade them or fortify them like you could in, in the ca other cash games. fuel cash yeah i don't know um, yeah I, I didn't see that either um the other thing that i liked was the the breaching i thought was cool because there's always a little bit of an immersion yeah, breaker yes. for company of yeah. heroes 2 where you have like your dudes standing outside the building, hiding behind a barrel, like shooting into the building. Well, I, see, I, I played Soviet, so I would always just throw Molotov. Molotov. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, some no, people. I uh, so, some people are annoyed about the breaching because um, it's kind of video gamey. But I, th I think garrison clearing is definitely a spot where Co can really get slowed down. Like when you yeah. have a squad in a building and you just can't get rid of it, it's it's just really annoying. And so I, I like that idea. The other as long as it's balanced well, you know, it, it sounds OP in theory, guys, but... I don't know what you guys felt about this, but I was surprised to see how many squad types there were. I feel like in Company First 2, and I, I didn't play the first one very much. Uh, I, I, I kind of... Honestly, playing 2, I kicked myself. I was like, I, I've really been sleeping on these these World War Two uh, RTS games. Um, but in Company First 2, there's like three squads per building because you know your your heavy tank building produces three different tanks your light tank building makes three different tanks and then you've got you know, so you've got four buildings about three different squad types per per building in um three i i, just, I, I built the building and i'm like oh i've got all these new different squad types i was just almost getting into it for the first time overwhelmed by it. I felt like there was more different squad types than there were in the older in the older games. Um, did you guys notice that or, or feel that at all? Um, well, I, my, it, my, happening. my impression was, so I played the skirmish and then I started playing the multiplayer and I just got bored really fast and I was mm -hmm. like, uh, I'll pass. Uh, it was really janky and messy and I mean the skirmish AI was terrible so I, I'll reserve judgment until I can play multiplayer. That's when I'm going to actually have opinions. Um, it was it was a bit too messy for me. I, I really liked Arden's Assault, so I think the direction of the campaign is the right direction. I hope maybe they don't overdo it, because Arden's Assault was still pretty straightforward. I never really played Total War. Um, yeah, I think at a, at a, for a bigger picture, I think I like the direction that they're not reinventing the wheel, and they're not adding in all these quirky, goofy, silly, obnoxious things that are excellent marketing material, but are actually frustrating as hell. So Co2, of course, the the, the blizzards, uh, the deep snow, like wow, amazing general winter, <laughs> you know, and then anyone who played Company of Heroes two twice thought, man, I really hate not being able to dodge grenades because I'm in the deep <laughs> snow. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely appreciate them. Just if it ain't broken, don't fix it. And Company of Heroes two is, well, I, some people may say it's broken, but no, it's 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 a very good game. It's very popular. They don't need to um, reinvent the wheel. So that's good. Um, 
And there's a lot of nice additions. So even though they're not adding in all these like quirky, new, silly, goofy things, they're adding in things like side armor. Like, you know, you mean that if I shoot a tank on the side, it has less armor than the front, but more than the rear. It's amazing. Because I feel like that's really where KOTU tank battles um, get a bit simplified. Is I you can, you honestly... Just, had already thought the Co Two did that, so I feel nope. a little silly. Nope. You get you get <laughs> side armor. You get the armored skirts on your Panzer Four. It increases your frontal armor. Um, yeah. No. I just for for some reason I I when I played Co Two I, I pictured an X on the vehicle. I, I just assumed like that the, there was a difference. Um, the the rear uh, like quarter the back quarter of the side is the rear armor. And so you can you can get a little lucky if if the tank is angled slightly you can get a rear armor yeah. hit from the front. Uh, if it oh, just, it's just like half and half, like the front. No, half it's, it's front, not quite back half. Back half it's, it's yeah, it's like a third or a quarter is is the okay. rear armor. Um, I didn't know that either. So and I have like a thousand hours of <laughs> company heroes. Yeah, so. yeah. But keep an um, eye. Like you may score like a really random rear armor hit, and you're like, wait, what? I have noticed that you get like really random <laughs> rear armor penetrations, but. Yeah, so One I. Well, thing I, they mentioned in. I'm sorry. <laughs> go on. Uh, one thing they mentioned in the preview that I haven't had a chance to to play around with yet, is they said that they'd expanded the true sight system to include verticality because of some of the the steep Italian like villages that they're gonna have. Um, I have not seen that yet, but I'm I'm very interested to see what they do with it because. One thing about Dawn of War 2 to 3 is, you know, Dawn of War 2 had kind of that company of heroes, tactical, hiding behind stuff. Um, and then you'd have a like, zoanthrope shoot its artillery and it hits a tiny little bump on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm interested to see how verticality works both in the campaign and in multiplayer. And I wonder if that's not the thing that they get out of multiplayer maps like well verticality is really bad in code 2 because it just collides with like artillery like a, a isu like some um it just things on the high ground um can like never be hit by certain units it's it's really bad yeah same with the old sturm tiger yeah uh i noticed in company of heroes 3 um something was super frustrating is there's i did one of the missions you have to like assassinate this uh general and i had snipers i had two snipers on the low ground and there was like a, a a set of stairs that like went up three different levels and there was a squad of volksgrens up there or something and my snipers had line of sight but uh, they couldn't shoot them because of the elevation of the stairs and that was super frustrating to me like i I can see tactical reasons for having a vertical line of sight, like to have vision on units. But I feel like if you see them, yeah, unless you're shooting through some sort of shot blocker, you should be able to like traverse up stairs. Even if I can't draw a perfect straight line from the, the like barrel of the rifle to the unit that I'm shooting, like please just let me clip through, like raycast it or whatever. Let me hit those dudes because bouncing sniper shots off stairs. Uh, it was super frustrating. I saw that today. Hmm. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. Yeah. What I was gonna say for 
for Co 3, the first thing that struck me was the art style. I don't like it. It's like too colorful and bright. And I was like, what is this? And and all of the no. art, like the, the poster, like it's very cartoony and colorful. Okay. And it, yeah, it, the, the poster I don't like. But it's terrible. I absolutely am absolutely fine with the Co 3 art style. Like some some yellow buildings is not gonna upset me i don't see i don't need my for realism i don't need a big block of brown and gray i think having some reds and greens is okay well it's, it's, it's not, not the gonna... colors of the world for me it's just the lighting is just really bright it's just it's just if you compare it to co like especially co one co one was kind of grim and gritty and then co two was was a bit bit more like a little bit more cartoony but it it was still enough that it was fine, and then Co three, it just it definitely like it struck me out, and I I got a very bad like, ugh, what's yeah, what does this look I, they, like? Honestly, Co three looks almost exactly like Co two to me, and maybe I, maybe they're just reusing Co two assets for for some of it, but I mean, like I I was literally like side by siding screenshots I had taken in both games, and to me the graphics look almost identical. Uh, I think there there are some situations where there's more like like the the brights are a little brighter, mm. but to, I mean the the models themselves look very similar to me. Yeah, well, um, I don't I don't mind about using the same assets. I just don't like the cartoony style, and, and like and the reason why it scares me as well is because I what I don't like about the direction Co Two has taken over the past few years with the community balance team is there's been a lot more like arcadey abilities and a, a lot more like immersion breaking kind of goofy contrived explosive profiles and stuff things that just sort of take you out of that world war ii immersion fantasy you know things like the some airborne squad has this ability where when they start shooting at a squad for whatever reason the squad can only move at half speed um, or like with a railway artillery that uh, uses the exact same explosive effect as the B4 howitzer, but has a kill radius that's like five times as large. Um, and and so when I see more arcadiness, well, that, that uh, seems like that seems like it's just an asset issue. Like I absolutely agree that that would be a problem. If the two explosions are the same size, well, they didn't previously. The it was a balance change. Yeah, and so and so because they're they're so something good about Co Three is that they're they're heavily working with the community and they have been for a, a long time, um, and so they've, they've got like they've they've actually hired some community map maker to make maps for them. I think that's really cool because with, yeah, with I Death, guess I just for for me realism has never been a big part of why I play RTS. Like some of my favorite RTS are Command and Conquer, StarCraft, um, you know the Warcraft games. Not a one of them is anywhere near realistic. Um, so that's never really been an issue for me. I can definitely see readability problems, like two explosions looking exactly the same and one of them's five times more powerful. Um, but as someone who's not involved in a World War II RTS for a World War II simulation, it, it, that doesn't even hit my radar personally. Yeah. Um, a lot of people like, are though. Like, I can I can go from like Red Alert Three, where you know there's absolutely nothing realistic there going on in that game, um, and you know the the movement profiles um, specifically is what I would look at in 
Company of Heroes 3, and I don't, I haven't played around with the tanks a lot, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. That's just that's never really been on my radar. I think you said something about that in your video. Yeah, I talk about this a lot um, in my video. Is that the the art video. style should match the game because you know people play games for different reasons, and no no one playing Warcraft three is doing it because they want a World War Two immersive experience, right? But, but people are playing Company of Heroes because a lot of people are playing it because they want that and and even someone who enjoys it purely for its game design for its um you know i think it's a very well designed game still the world war ii like immersion fantasy is is a part of its appeal um and so stepping away from that i think is, is to its detriment and and so I, I hope Co. Three doesn't do that too much with all these like arcadey kind of goofy abilities. You know things like um, like mark target, where f- for whatever reason this squad takes twice as much damage for thirty seconds. And and those things, have, you know, there's been a lot. Of, I don't want to only kind of pick on the, the community balance team. Like there's been like st- stuff in in Co. One that's been like that forever. Um, like some slow ability that the like Panzer Grenadiers had. So there's always been a bit of that in Company of Heroes, but I, but I think um, add, adding it more of those things needs to be done carefully. Um, you, you they can't only think about balance, and 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 also like the problem that I have to or that I'm worried about is that you know they have this big community council group of people, and and I don't know who they are, but I feel like it's going to be made up of one versus one players, um, you know, competitive players, and sort of like in in Co2 where it's gone over the last few years things will be done in a way that is to the detriment of the four versus four experience, which is what the majority of people play in terms of multiplayer. Um, of course, most people play single player, but, but overemphasizing like this one V one balance, um, in a way that can ruin the team game experience can ruin the, you know, quote unquote realism. Like I'm, I'm definitely not one of those oh. neckbeards who want to be like, re why can this, uh, SU-76 penetrate the Tiger. The Tiger has 105 millimeters of armor. It shouldn't be penetrated by a 76 millimeter. Like, okay, I don't care about like that realism. Not at 800 <laughs> I, meters. I mean, come on. Whatever. I care about. Yeah, yeah. I care about the the immer- the the immersion fantasy, right? Like the the sort of the the suspension of disbelief is what I care about. I don't care about the realism. As it my were, feeling yeah. without like. Uh, reading more and seeing if they've released any information about it. My impression is that they're going for a more cartoony slash stylized style. I think it's just to draw in a, a wider audience of people. I feel like they're not going to make uh, it feel more arcadey. That's just again with my initial impressions of the game and not having done a whole ton of research into it. I feel like it's more attractive to RTS players. And RTS as a genre is sort of on the decline, let's say, like the, yes. we had our heyday before. Um, that might be a controversial to- uh, opinion as well, but I, my gut feeling tells me that they're going for this style to draw in more people. And I think you have a better chance at getting a larger mass market appeal uh, if you go from a more gritty, like everything is gray, everything is destroyed or brown, to a more vibrant, like much more colorful and I think it's a nice choice to choose the Italian campaign as well, because it's so much different than what you typically see in World War II games, which is usually like the Western Front. Yeah, they're doing Africa as well. Yeah, and, and right, I think and it's Africa, I was actually going to bring right. up. I was actually going to bring up Africa because I was going to say you're going to get your fill of 
browns yeah. and yeah. tans in the desert, in that's the right. desert yeah. where yeah. everything is going to be brown. But at um, least the desert looks different than everything being like brown brown. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. like an orangey kind um, of color. The, the other thing I was going to say is looking at Dawn of War 3 and Age of Empires 4 and also Company of Heroes 3, I think Relic may have changed their approach from we want our game to like really, really I hesitate to say cutting edge, but like I feel like they're not pushing the visuals as hard in a technical way to make it easier on people's systems. Like I saw this one guy. I wish I got that the twenty minutes of my life back complaining about Age of Empires four, even after they had fixed some of the things that fans were complaining about. Like the arrows, um, or like the the water physics, and I'm like. Dude, know. who cares? I, I, like that's so crazy to get really upset about um, that. But I don't know. It's, it, to me, it's just not that kind of game. Like I, I think one of the things he was comparing against was one of the Anno games, and it's like Anno is a is a simulation. You're you're gonna sit down and you're you're building a town, and your Age of Empires is not that kind of game. It's a board. It's a, game. It's a historical get... abstraction, is what it is. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Which right. is why you have priests converting by saying um, "wallalo." And but and so anyway, forth. anyway, my my point though was, I think they're specifically targeting a more mid-range computer. I think they're not trying to target the absolute top of the line. Um, machine so that more people's computers can run it well isn't it also just budget like it's just to make things look better it's expensive and they probably don't have a big budget like co one's budget would have been much higher probably more than both co2 and co3 combined um i i don't know i mean like i said it was a very big budget again company of heroes 3 physically the models look very similar to two um and two was looked really good when it came out in what 2013 2014 whenever it was um, so that level, that same kind of level of graphical fidelity works on a lower level, uh, uh, uh not as high end computer now. Um, and I don't know, I feel, it feels, it feels intentional to me. Like they're, they're specifically targeting lower end machines, which makes sense. Well, it's the same reason why no game has been able to overtake Supreme Commander is because even though it was in 2007, its budget was like 70 million and, and Jeez. was it really? Yeah, I think so. And it wasn't profitable on launch. I don't think Co. One was either on launch. Um, you know, maybe over time with expansions, that it paid off. But the, the like, there's not going to be, you know, another seventy million RTS game. And so Jeez, it's hard to overtake those games. I mean, I don't, yeah. Maybe Starcraft Two was. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I think Italy was the right front. Um, I know a lot of people were like we should do Japan. That would have been a disaster. I think. Um, Pacific theater. I think I'm unfortunately kind of running out of time, but I'm going to just put this out there because I want the internet to hear this for me. People who want company ships and company of heroes are stupid. It's such well, a stupid request. I don't I'm know sorry. about wanting like, ships in the game, but like, even if it was just only land combat, but you know, to do, to do Japan properly, you would have had to have like Banzai charges and like booby traps and, and, and if, and, to do that would have been like really cheesy and gimmicky and frustrating and not fun at all. Like it would have just been, it would not have been fun. I routinely hear people saying, "Why can't we add ships and do the Pacific Theater?" And it's, where? How are you going to fit a boat on the map? Yeah. Well, I, I like <laughs> it, like it'd be cool if you had uh, like boats in the way that you have planes. They're just like a strike that you call in. You know, you don't, yeah, you don't really see the boat. You know, but 
I, I, I just really think that the land gameplay would not have worked. And I, I never liked. Uh, was it Red Alert? Red, Red Alert, Alert three games had, had navy. Yeah, boat. Maybe Red Alert three had tons of Red boats. Red Alert and... three is the only game where I have ever liked the naval aspect of it, uh, because the problem with with naval combat is it cuts your map into into chunks. And then course, these yeah. units can only be on this one chunk, and these units can only be on that one chunk. And it almost never works that well. But with Command & Conquer 3, those borders are so porous. You Red can build three. any building on the on the water and on the land, except for, you know, like, there's, like, the one, the shipyard you can't build on the land. Um, and a bunch of units can go out on the water, and it's just very seamless. And it, it, it's the only game I have ever really liked, actually liked the naval combat. And honestly, even in that one, it's not my thing. Um... Yeah, it's it's, like it's not too bad in Supreme Commander. You have a lot of like amphibious units and stuff. Oh, that's true. Um, yeah, that's like you have true. hover tanks, so it's it's a little bit more porous um, than most other games. But yeah, Red Alert Three nails it really well. Um, yeah, so we, we can wrap up soon. I think you said you have to go wayward. Co, Co yeah. Three. I mean, I haven't really said a lot about it. I I'm keeping my judgment open until I can play multiplayer. I I think it's the right direction. Um, We'll see how good it is, but I, I'm optimistic because of the community involvement and stuff. I, I've never been involved with it. Um, I think working for a competitor at one point probably got me off of, on some list that says conflict of interest. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so hopefully it's good. I, I think it might be a hard sell for people because like Coke 2 has really matured. Um, you know, like convincing people to jump ship uh in the long term may be a challenge uh it'll have to be good for that to happen um in a way that kotu kind of didn't have the challenge because its ui was so much better like you, you go back and play ko1 now and you're like oh this ui is like real bad and you know not having um like true sight is really obnoxious you just you, you have this mg they just see it through like a hedge mm -hmm. and you're like oh man um Hopefully it's good. We'll see. I don't have any other thoughts. What do you guys think? Uh, I um, like it. I, it's, it feels mushy, I would say. So like when I play Co2, um, and maybe this is a performance issue with uh, Co3, how it isn't like optimized yet, which of course, if it's in an alpha state, it's not optimized. But in Co2, when I give orders to a unit, it feels really snappy. It feels super crisp. And I'm not even talking about the world map in Co3. I mean, even in the skirmishes in Co3. It feels a little mushy. Like there's some, I don't know if there's like some delay or maybe my frame rate is dropping because uh, it's not super optimized. It just feels a bit mushy. And if they can sort of tighten that up um, and then fix all the jankiness, um, I I think it's going to be pretty good. Yeah, the jankiness is why I, I did not like it at all. Uh, for what I played I with it, it was too janky. I noticed something similar. Um, to me, it seemed like sometimes it was not recognizing when I was hitting a key. Like I'd hit a hot key and then issue an order, and the, the unit wouldn't do it. Or I, like the panning felt kind of like sticky. Like it wanted to stick, and then it would start moving as I was trying to pan around. Um, and I'm happy to attribute that at this point to um, the game being in pre-alpha. Um, but as far as like the tech tree goes and and the the maps and the changes to the actual gameplay, I'm happy. Like, I was. Uh, something else I haven't heard people talking about a lot is the upgrades. 
like you have dedicated upgrade structures in Company of Heroes um, 3. So there's a one structure that upgrades infantry and one for tanks. And um, and again, there's just there was kind of like a lot of them. And I, I was, you know, I haven't had a chance to kind of go through them all, but it seemed like it was um, they actually had it wasn't like a like a plus one damage. You know, you, that's not the sort of thing that Company of Heroes does. Um, but like for the American upgrades, I think one of them reduced the upkeep cost of your infantry. And I was like, huh, I wonder what kind of impact it's going to have on the game when I, when I get that. Um, so I, I do like having more structure that I do like the dedicated upgrade buildings. I, I like the idea. I saw a Reddit post where, um, the user was, was comparing and contrasting the way that the British and the, the U S forces upgraded their infantry and, and how they were different. I, I unfortunately don't remember it or I'd go over it now, but, um, as far as that goes, it, it actually it feels good, um, and if they, and I assume it as when because this is still pre-alpha, but if they manage to take where they are and get it polished to the level of Company of Heroes two, I'd be really really happy to play it like that. Um, yeah, it definitely combines a lot of Co one and Co two. It's it's been very deliberate. Oops, bye Brandon. Here he is. Oh. I'm sorry about that. I, I dropped out there for a second. I, I went to mute myself and I hit disc. <laughs> I do have to, to go soon though. Um, okay. But yeah, my, oh, my brain uh, is shutting down. I, I didn't sure. get a lot of sleep left. Yeah. <laughs> I was just saying that Co1 and Co, uh, Co3 very much combines a lot of the Co1 stuff, which I like, such as the, the resource type, the resource system I think was better. The upgrades were better in Co1. Co2 doesn't really have any upgrades. It, you know, it, you you spend fifteen fuel to get your weapon racks, and it's just, it's basically a no factor. Um, Co one, you had like it was sixty fuel to get the bars, so more like meaningful fuel upgrades. I think is definitely a benefit. Um, so we'll see. Okay, so just real quick, super super quick. I noticed an upgrade for the Americans on the infantry dedicated upgrade tree that was give a bar to every uh, rifleman unit that you have on the board yeah that's kind so of like a global yeah so then they, they took it from co1 i thought yep. that was pretty cool yeah yeah because it means you have to think about like do i go for this light vehicle or do i get my bar upgrade is that you, you don't and, just like get both yeah or do yeah. i want to pump out one or two more riflemen squads so i can give them all bars at once yeah and i guess no once you have it upgraded every subsequent one would have they do it, so yeah never mind and um and like they've, they've deliberately tried to scale back the the light vehicles and make it more infantry focused which is good again co2 light vehicles were too dominant um mm -hmm. they would come in at like two minutes do you know oh be really obnoxious and co1 was there were less else. light vehicles so it seems like a good hybrid that's something else that i was um planning on bringing up so one thing that it seems like they're working on is the relationship between infantry and vehicles um you were talking about 4v4 and one of the problems with um balance kind of a large scale thing um is it's very very hard i, I notice this a lot in a lot of rts it's very very hard to weight different types of advantages against each other so uh like the german their tanks tend to be heavier and that's just in a 4v4, that's just a big advantage. Yeah. Like, in a 1v1, you know, the U.S. tanks are more maneuverable. They can get behind the German tanks, that sort of thing. And that becomes a, an interesting asymmetrical balance. But in a 4v4, if you've got four guys with king tigers, that's probably the end of the game. 
Um, and it's, I don't think it's ever really a, a fair thing to say, well, if you don't want that to happen, the balances don't let them do that. Um, <laughs> it just, it's such a, I, I feel like I've seen that sort of thing happen um, in games before, that the, the way to beat the strategy is to not let the strategy happen in the first place. Uh, but if it happens, you lose. Um, and one thing I've seen, I feel like in Company of Heroes 3 is tanks aren't as big of an HP sink uh, as they are. And it, it can make them feel a little less a little less satisfying to use, maybe, but I think that might be a good trade-off um, to have that whole kind of HP health bar conundrum um, rear its ugly head. So we'll have to keep an eye. I'll, I'm going to be keeping an eye on that in particular to see what they do with that. Um, because some of those those German HP sync tanks can feel bad to fight, especially in large team games. I also don't like how this, the way that snares work in Company of Heroes 2, I think is not fun. Like every squad has a snare. It means diving, like flanking is, is so risky that you basically just never do it. Because if you dive after something, you're just gonna get hit by a couple of Panzerfausts and now your tank destroyer is like stranded with a crippled engine. And, and Co. One didn't have snares for um, for Axis, and so you could actually flank tanks in a really aggressive way. Um, and it just feels bad when your your like your heavy tiger tank is running for its dear life away from a squad of conscripts, because like the conscript squad can can slow down your tank. And I, I think snares are in, by the way, that like from from what I've seen of it. So I I hope that they reconsider the way that snares work. Anyway, let, let's wrap up. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for watching, guys. Uh, everyone's Twitter handle, you can see them if you want to follow these cool RTS dudes. Um, thanks for watching. Hopefully, we won't <laughs> yeah, be another after, six months until the my... next time, but it always happens to be like that. So, we'll see. Every time I'm on these podcasts, I feel like that, uh, I, and I, I'm not a big, like, always sunny in Philadelphia guy, but I, I just remember the, uh, the meme with the guy in front of the, uh, the, the crazy, um, pin board like going like this i feel like that every time i talk about rts games anyway yeah thanks and catch you later